SQL Down Under is a podcast for professionals working in the SQL Server community. SQL Server is a trademark of Microsoft Corporation. Opinions expressed during the podcast are individual opinions and may not reflect the opinions of SQL Down Under or of Microsoft Corporation. Introducing show number 11 with guest Tom Morrow. So our guest this evening is uh, Dr. Tom Morrow, and uh, Tom is a SQL Server MVP and has been since uh, 2001, writes a regular column called Dr. Tom's Workshop, uh, which began back in uh, January 2001, written lots of articles all over the place, and I know is working on some articles right now, and probably best known from co-authoring the advanced uh, Transact SQL for SQL Server 2000 with Itzik Ben-Garn. So welcome, Tom. Hi. Now, based it's in cold up here. <laughs> yes, we are. It's, it's, oh, yes. It's certainly not cold here. So, <laughs> in Brisbane at the moment, it's uh, uh, you use Celsius as well, don't you? I think it's uh, yeah, yeah, yes, we do. We're, yeah. about, we're about thirty-six today. I think so. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> Getting up towards oh. that hundred Fahrenheit for the uh, for the folk in the uh, in the US. So. Anyway, we might start. I might get you to just tell me how how you come to be involved with SQL Server in the first place and a bit about your background. Uh, well, uh, before I uh, started playing with the SQL Server, I was playing with DB2 for about a year and a half, two years, and um, a job opportunity came up, and um, I didn't have any SQL Server background at all, but because I had some SQL background, they, they took me on, and this was back in 93. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was SQL Server on OS2. Uh, you know, the one of the, one of the oldest versions of uh, SQL Server we had. I mean, you installed it with four floppy disks and and, and that kind of thing. And um, after being at that firm for about uh, almost two years, I became a consultant. I, I ramped up on SQL Server fairly rapidly. And uh, yeah, I became a consultant much uh, much to the urging of my wife, who had wanted me to become a consultant a long time before then. And so it's I interesting actually. Wives usually want you to have a permanent job with a permanent income. <laughs> it's kind of funny, you know. When we met, uh, she was in flying school, and I was I was already a pilot, and she was already a consultant way back then, and I was a graduate student, and I was I was of the the the, the feeling that I just wanted to be a permanent employee and, and you know work for somebody else, and uh, she's very independent. And uh, she she kept saying, well, you know, you should, you know, go under contract and this kind of thing. And, oh, no, 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 I don't want to do it. And, uh, it rubbed off. Uh, her confidence uh, wore off on me. And, and indeed, she, she was the one that told me what a database was and what normalization was and so forth, because I didn't start life as an IT guy. I, my, my degrees are in uh, molecular physics and space science. Mm. And uh, I... One one thing I learned early as a scientist was that there's no money in, in scientific research, and so I had to make a, a career change. But throughout my graduate school, um, I was doing a lot of computing in order to analyze my data. 
<laughs> Diane would get several calls a day, uh, cries for help. Uh, it was mainframe programming I was doing at the time, and uh, you know, I said, help. And she said, well, what's wrong this time? I said, well, I got an OC4 or something like that. Oh, well, you got to do this. So that was that was how that all began. And uh, So, yeah, back to SQL Server. Well, I, my first contract lasted almost two years, and boy, did I learn a lot. Uh, it, uh, and Most, mostly doing DBA work or developer work? Yeah, mostly DB, DBA. Well, this is the thing. Up here, a DBA does a lot of things. Uh, you can't just mm. be uh, an administrator, really. Uh, so you would design, you would uh, implement, and uh, you'd administer and that sort of thing. And uh, a lot of what I did then and what I do now is what I call janitorial programming, where I'm cleaning up somebody else's mess. <laughs> And yeah. uh, that that particular assignment was a lot of uh, janitorial programming. I saw a lot of uh, how not tos. Hmm. But it's one, interesting one, in the industry actually. Another. I, I find it fascinating in the industry that everybody normally talks about cleaning up somebody else's mess, but they, they, nobody ever is the person who says I, I go around making a mess. <laughs> oh no, no, nobody makes messes. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, bless them all. Uh, you know, it's been quite lucrative for me. <laughs> So how did you come to join the SQL MVP group? Oh, well, uh, let's see. I was uh, I had already uh, co-authored the book with, uh, with Itzik, and uh, I had been active in the uh, Usenet news groups, and uh, my editor, Karen Watterson, had asked Kalen Delaney, like, what does it take to become an MVP? You know, Tom does a lot of stuff, and uh, it looks like he, he, he never gets asked. And she said, well, you know, he's got to be very active in the news groups. And I thought, oh, my God, I'm practically living there. <laughs> well, what I found out was it was the Microsoft news groups they wanted you to be active in. So, yeah. uh, as it turns out, my ISP didn't uh, didn't have the DTS news group, so I figured, okay, well, I'm just going to Microsoft for the DTS, and oh my God, they've got everything else there. So I hung out there and uh, did my normal uh, fielding of questions, and suddenly I get an email from Steve Dibbing, and would you like to be an MVP? Well, sure. <laughs> yeah. And uh, that's how that all began. Marvelous. So uh, I must have been noting in the uh, discussions you've had in the MVP news groups lately, been having lots of discussions on service brokers, so that's uh, obviously an area of interest at the moment. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, very much. Um, uh, I've done multi, uh, multi-threaded multi uh, programming before, and, and in fact, uh, before I became... Uh, uh, at DBA, I had done uh, some OS2 presentation manager programming, so I know what a WinProc looks like. And I look at this stuff, and I think, God, you know, it, it's it's similar but different. Um, mm-hmm. And the fact that you can basically multi-thread this stuff, uh, this is really, really gold. It's, it's uh, what I call DBA candy. <laughs> so uh, I must admit, Service Broker still seems to be one of the uh, the least understood aspects of the product. And I think that's largely because obviously it's brand new and uh, there, there was no equivalent before. Where do you really see the sweet spot for for, for using Service Broker? Well, it's hard to define like a, a sweet spot per se, but if if you've got an application that can be broken up into uh, uh, bite-sized chunks, if you will, uh, you know, uh, humans don't eat a meal in one bite, and uh, if you can yeah. take a piece of work and break it down uh, to the stuff that absolutely positively has to be done as a, as a single chunk. And I'm not thinking in terms of transactions, but uh, let me give you sort of a real-world example of what happened to me on 
uh, an assignment that I had uh, about a year and a half ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, this was to do with uh, police database, and everything gets audited. Every last thing they do gets audited. And uh, this application, the audit trail was done in flat files. It wasn't done in, in a database, but everything that went to the database, of course, was uh, in the database. And, and we had to analyze these files, and we had to be able to do it in an efficient manner. I ended up writing a multi-threaded Perl script to do it all. And uh, once you kicked it off, there was practically nothing for you to do but twiddle your thumbs and wait for files to come in because what would happen is the output from this stuff uh, would spit out files if if it found anything. So it was a multi-threaded sniff of the uh, audit logs. And it's the type of thing I wouldn't want to wait until the whole thing got done before I started to see, you know, the first file come out. I wanted to see it as it was occurring. So consider this, that uh, let's say that, that you had everything in the database and you wanted it to start sniffing through chunks. Well, you could issue messages, and every time it found something, send you a message back saying, this is what I found. That kind of thing, and and I thought, yeah. you know, th- this would be great if I had had that capability back then. Actually, one one of the things I we discussed when I was uh, doing some research for the show, uh, ironically, it turned out we've both been reviewing uh, or looking at uh, two of the same books uh, in recent mm-hmm. times, and uh, one of the ones is actually uh, Bob Boachman and Dan Sullivan's new uh, book that replaces the. Uh, a first look at SQL Server 2005 for developers, and uh, and of course for listeners too, they they should keep keep an eye out for that. I've been telling people they need to save their pennies because this is uh, this really will be a, uh, almost like one of the new Bibles. This this book when it appears, I I believe. Uh, one of the things I quite liked that uh, Dan Sullivan did in one of the sections, he was talking about uses for Service Broker. And uh, and why it why it needs to exist, and he was sort of talking about the fact that if you you take uh, existing tasks like if we if I arrived somewhere at say, let's say a wholesaler and uh, wanted to place an order at the counter, typically the person who deals with me doesn't then you know run off downstairs and look to see if the item's there and take it off the shelf and parcel it up and send it and, and do the whole process. It, it tends to be yeah there, there's some form of uh, things like documentation that the person at the counter completes and passes it on to someone else who then does the next part of the work and so on and so on. And he was sort of making the analogy that what almost what we do with stored procs today is that we tend to do the entire process um, inside the proc. And, and that's one of the things that really, when I think about it, limits the scalability uh, of what we can do with the systems. But if, as soon as you could introduce a, a, a transacted queue into uh, the the way things are done, then you could much much more uh, spread it out across different servers. Is that kind of how you see? Well, you could spread it uh, uh, across servers if it uh, you know if it was uh, that type of thing. But what I like to be able to do is is any anything that can be done in parallel. I like to be able to do that. Right. So, mm. uh, for example, I could. Um, I could flick off, uh, well, it, let, let, let me give you another real-world example, because uh, my current client, I saw this uh, through a profiler trace, and I said, gee, you know, it's too bad they don't have service broker. They had mm. a thing in there where they were uh, deleting from three different tables, and the thing would take 20 seconds, right? 
And all they were concerned about is that those three tables had those deletes done. Well, it does one delete, then another, then another. Why can't this stuff be done in parallel, right? So uh, a service broker application would be it would queue those deletes by, by sending messages to three separate queues, let the thing run, and then uh, once all those three are done, then you can go forward from there. If you even had to wait, uh, you know, are you know, is what you're interested in just getting them deleted, and then that that's the end of it? Then you could just do almost like a fire and forget. Although uh, yeah. we'll, we'll talk about fire and forgets later, because uh, you should fire but never forget. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I think that's one of the things people uh, really have to get your have to get their heads around a little bit is the the whole idea that you don't necessarily want to do all the processing synchronously where I, I ask a question and I immediately hang on and wait until the answer comes back. So it, it may be that I have to build a, a, a flow where I, I start something, but I am confident that it will let me know that it either completed it or uh, or something occurred. Yeah, that, that's, that's the way to do it. Now, not every uh, app is amenable to doing that, right? If, if you truly have to get uh, a result... Uh, when you know the process X is done, then you're going to stay with your existing uh, T-SQL proc the, w- the way it's been mm. architected. But if it's something that can be uh, spun off and that all you really need right now is an acknowledgement, then that's the the you know th- then that's a, a potential candidate for uh, for service broker. Yeah. So as as you've been going through, I, I know you've been preparing an article for MSDN. Was it MSDN magazine? It's for. Uh, no, this is uh, this is for SQL Pro. Oh, uh, this SQL is for Pro. SQL Pro. Yep. And uh, with to do with the service broker. Now, when you've been building service broker applications, uh, I, I presume uh, you would have found, as I did, a number of surprises along the way as to how I thought I knew how it worked, but then it turned out it didn't quite work that way. So, what what things did you learn that uh, that surprised you at all? Well. Just getting my head around uh, the paradigm shift. Uh, yeah, okay, I've, I've had some multi-threaded background and, and this sort of thing. And yes, I played with messages, but uh, you know, as you said before, this is new technology to us uh, in the SQL Server arena. So it's it's different than learning T-SQL. And the example I'd like to give you is it's easy enough to teach somebody how to write a select, and you could simply say select star from my table. That's pretty simple. Um, we haven't talked about the where clause. So then we now talk about the where clause. Now you're filtering it. Then we talk about removing the star and actually talking about individual columns, right? So I can build a little bit, but I can get functional right away. I can't do that with Service Broker. There are many things that I have to know simultaneously before I can get started. And it's so easy to mess things up and get lost, right? So it takes... Uh, reading and rereading and rereading. Uh, I uh, read uh, uh, Bob Boschman and uh, and Neil Neils and Dan's uh, first look book, and I thought that was yeah. very very helpful. Uh, got some hands on when the when the betas and CTPs were coming out, and kind of put it away for a while. And then I got back to it uh, after the uh, RTM version came out. Um, I've done a, a mini tech review on, on uh, Roger Walter's uh, book. Uh, he's updating it yeah. for RTM as well. Uh, unfortunately, I didn't read that book until after I read my article and had my nose quite bloodied by then. Um, Actually, we, we but, should you know, mention that, that 
that book in particular, I, I must admit I, I've been working with Service Broker now for, for quite a while and uh, actually for the last year and a half at least uh, teaching developer classes for SQL Server 2005 where I, I thought we'd tried pretty much all of the, the things that would happen with Service Broker. And uh, a few weeks back I finally got to sit down and read Roger's book, and and it just opened uh, a number of uh, a number of windows for me and and doors that I, I just had no idea. Um, I think really strongly recommend to people they have a look at Roger Walter's book on Service Broker. It's on Rational Press. It's not a huge book to read, and uh, I, I think the thing that I found is is just that there were numerous insights in it. Uh, that, that only somebody in the product group could come up with. And uh, probably the best example I've got of that is uh, I was trying to get my head around why there was a concept of a conversation as well as a concept of a dialogue and the fact that the two were different. Um, but Roger sort of pointed out that there was also planning for a, a concept of a monologue and so on and, and things like that. I mean, again, only somebody in the group can, can really come up with that sort of thing. Yeah, that's true. Um, where I got really screwed right up is this idea of sending sending from a service to a service because I thought, okay, well, the services can talk, but how do I get that first message going? And I was thinking in terms of fire and forget, and that's what messed me up. And, and this idea that, well, you really should be expecting um, you know, some sort of message traffic coming back uh, from whence you sent it. And I went, oh, yeah, all right. <laughs> so it took me a while to get straightened out on, on that as well. Yeah. I, I remember you were having some discussion also, uh, things you found about end dialogue or ending Oh, God. <laughs> yeah, I'm starting to get the cold sweats right now now that you brought, brought it up. <laughs> so what do you have in there? Well, it, it's a quite, you see, this is the thing. When you are trying to debug something that's either multi-threaded or asynchronous, it's very difficult to say, you know, you know, what happened first and what happened second and what happened third. And, you know, for the life of me, uh, you know, my activation proc, I had my if statement in there to look for that uh, end dialogue. You know, you, you know that, that great big ugly yeah. URI, but it's, a, a, it's an end dialogue. And it's like the thing evaporated. I didn't understand where it was going. And um, so what I ended up doing, I, I, I would select from the queue. I could actually see the thing in the queue. But, you know, my, my, uh, my loop where I'm doing the receive, I, it just didn't seem to be there. And I finally found out that, you know, there was an end dialogue in there somewhere that I hadn't accounted for. And I went, oh, okay, I'm getting it now. Well, originally I wasn't even, you know... I had a problem understanding this idea of who ends what. And I thought, well, once an end dialogue has been issued, once that's, that's it. You don't have to do anything. And No, that's completely wrong. And the way I like to, to relate it to, to people is, you know, you call me on, on, a, on a telephone and I answer. And we have a conversation and we exchange messages. And at the end, I hang up and you hang up. Not one of us hangs up. It's both of us hangs up. And that's really where I got hung up. Yeah, that's good. Another thing I, I found, I uh, must have been I liked in Roger's book, he also had a bit of a description about the sort of pattern that you might use for uh, a receive loop. And the idea, I see a lot of people when they're starting to implement Service Broker try to almost have an activation proc that's fired up for each message 
and they're, they're having it process that one message and then exit. And uh, he really makes a strong case for not doing that. And basically, when the activation proc gets fired up, the idea is to process what's in the queue, but then also hang around for a little period of time looking to see if anything else lobs in the queue, and then only if something doesn't appear in the queue for a, a little period of time, then exit the proc. So the idea is to sort of keep the proc running while there are things appearing in the queue. That's right. I've, I've got that uh, uh, pretty much standard. Like I'll, I'll put a, a five-second uh, timeout on the thing, and then only at that point, uh, you know, if, you've, if you truly uh, haven't received anything, then there must not be anything in the queue for you to process. Mm. Indeed. Now, coming so coming back to this uh, to this end dialogue scare mm. that I gave myself, um, I, I I sort of now have a philosophy on when to issue the first end dialogue. Uh, I had uh, j- just to make it simple. Let's say that you got service A and service B, and service A needs some work from service B, so it it begins the dialogue and sends a message across. Then service B does its work and sends a message over, yeah, I did that for you. And now these two guys have got to end their dialogue. So it's possible that service A sends the end dialogue after receiving that message, and then service B ends his dialogue. Now with something like that, if you've got cues that are not busy, and the work took a while on each side, it's possible that there is no currently running activation proc on a given side when the end dialog comes across. So then it has to fire it up. So the approach that I'd, uh, I'd like to take is whoever first detects that there really is no need for further communication, you send that your last message and immediately follow that up with your end dialog because they'll both get processed together when they go across, yeah. more than likely. And then uh, it's incumbent upon the, that other guy simply to acknowledge the, the end dialogue and, and send that across, as opposed to mm-hmm. uh, doing it the other way around. So the, the sort of a philosophy... I've played with it long enough now to have a philosophy, and that's it. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. Listen, well, that might be a good moment to uh, take a break for a few minutes, and uh, we'll get back after the break. Cool. As well as community resources such as this podcast, SQL Down Under offer mentoring services and both private and public training options. If you need to get your project back on track, or if you need to get it off to a good start, why not give us a call? We have also recently introduced a series of online courses available in both Asia-Pacific and US-UK time zones. In particular, the first course that's offered in this series is Query Performance Tuning. You'll find details at www.sqldownunder.com. So welcome back from the break. Um, first up, Tom, maybe just get you to tell us anything you're willing to share just about your, where you live and what you do and what you're, what you're keen on. Uh, well, gee, uh, right, right now. Uh, well, I guess uh, we, we already said that I was uh, doing consulting, and so uh, I've had a you know broad assortment of assignments, and uh, most of those things are like a full-time gig, right? They'll take mm. me on for a few months, and I'm working five days a week. Well, 
What with uh, with Yukon hitting the streets and me not having had as much time as I wanted to dedicate to it, I wanted to take um, take a couple of days a week just to play with uh, with Yukon and get up get up to speed. It it is a big milestone um, release, and uh, you're not going to learn this thing very quickly. So. Uh, two days a week are my Yukon days, and three days a week are my uh, consulting days. And uh, what's good is that because I'm doing this at home, I can also multi-thread myself yes. and uh, get some domestic chores done. So that on the weekend, uh, the weekends are ours to uh, to go flying in our in our aircraft around southern Ontario. Yes, indeed. You you actually fly, and Diane flies as well. Your wife, doesn't she? That's right. Uh, we met yeah. at uh, at an airport, and uh, I fell in love with her as soon as I saw her. And I thought, you know, I want one of those. And uh, so I, <laughs> I rented the be- I rented the best airplane they had, and I, and I took her for a flight around the CN Tower, and I let her fly from the right hand seat. And uh, mm. so uh, it, it worked well. And uh, uh, <laughs> eventually, we uh, when we um, had the opportunity to buy shares in an airplane, we did. And uh, we took that airplane on our honeymoon, and uh, on the honeymoon I even did a flight test uh, because uh, the flight test had been uh, delayed. It was my instrument rating. So we did that on the honeymoon, and then uh, uh, we eventually bought out our partners, and now we own the, the plane outright, and we, we try to fly it as often as we can. And I noticed in your material, too, also you're into uh, guide dogs for the blind and volunteer work at a wildlife center as well. Yeah, um I, I've had a soft spot in my heart for a long time for uh, for guide dogs, uh, specifically ones for the blind, but uh, there are also hearing ear dogs and, and what we call special skills dogs for people in in wheelchairs. And you won't believe what these are these dogs are capable of doing, and the difference it makes in people's lives. It, you can't even describe it. Uh, the the mobility it gives them, the freedom it gives them. And my dream, uh, my initial dream was to, to get a, a guide dog, uh, believe it or not, a female golden retriever, and I wanted yes. her to be named Freedom. Uh, and uh, we've had some ups and downs trying to get Freedom. Uh, we've, we've had another dog graduate before her. And uh, part of the problem with uh, with Freedom is that with, with guide dogs, many are called and, and few are chosen. Uh, there are many yeah. opportunities for them not to make it, and we're on Freedom number four right now uh, and we're hoping that freedom number four will, will graduate but we have, we've had another one called Indiana who graduated last summer and uh, he's doing very well with with uh, the work at the wildlife center you mentioned it was with birds of prey is that uh, is it uh, some interest there from your flying interest as well uh, well I am interested in anything that flies and I'm, and I'm an animal lover by nature and as it turned out there was uh, well, we still have it. There's a peregrine falcon next, uh, nest next door to where I live. I live in a condo tower on the 20th floor, and there's an office tower next to us, and these peregrine falcons chose to uh, to nest there. And uh, so we, we joined a uh, an organization that kept watch on them and so forth, and then through that organization we made contact um, uh, with the wildlife center. Like uh, originally we... Uh, we helped out at one wildlife center, and uh, you're you're handling the birds, you're feeding them, and uh, cleaning their pens, and uh, sometimes you have to rejets the birds. The jesses are straps that are on the birds' uh, mm. uh, ankles, so that when we're uh, when we have the bird on the fist, the, the bird can't fly away, and you have a, a leash tied to the jesses and so forth. So you have to rejets yeah. them. Some, sometimes their their feet uh, get infected because let's face it, they're wearing very very sharp. 
uh, uh, weapons on the end of their their toes. Yeah, and they're called talons. <laughs> and uh, sometimes sometimes when they're walking around, the, the the toe will bend, and the point of the talon will actually penetrate the foot. And uh, oh, wow. they're walking around in their own doo-doo, and eventually that can get infected. So sometimes you have to yeah. hold a bird while they're uh, they're getting antibiotic cream put on their feet and so forth. Awesome. Well, listen, back with SQL Service Broker, the, uh, I suppose one of the things that's difficult with uh, something that has background activation processes and so on is ha- how did you troubleshoot it or how, do, how did you get to the bottom of what's going on when things don't do what you're expecting? Well, I'm so glad that Microsoft came up with all these uh, DMVs or the, the, the dynamic uh, management views plus uh, you know, views that are not necessarily dynamic, but they're there to support uh, what you have there. They're, we had to do a lot of sniffing around in the olden days, and, and it just, the, you know, it was good back then, but it wasn't very good. And, and now I think we've yeah. reached the, the the point of being very good. Now, le, uh, should, let's face I it. I should actually get you to spend a moment explaining what uh, dynamic management views are, too. Just well, they they hook into. Uh, what's going on inside the SQL Server. Now, the views are not necessarily on real tables. In fact, a lot of them aren't because things are, as the name implies, dynamic. Uh, if you want to look back to your uh, uh, SQL 2000 and older days, uh, remember, the, remember the table sysprocesses, right? That's yeah. not a real table. That's a virtual table because that's all in memory, and, you, and your dynamic management views can, can work the same way there. So... Um, what I was doing, uh, uh, trying to troubleshoot, you know, why didn't I even get a message <laughs> uh, in my yes. queue is, is simply uh, do a select star from your queue. Uh, select star is non-destructive on a queue. Uh, you can select star as many times as you want. You're not going to hurt the data. Uh, the receive is what I call a, a destructive select. Uh, it will yeah. read, but it also deletes at the same time. So I do a my select, select and I don't see anything. A select can also have quite complex where clauses associated with the queue where, I should point out also, a receive has very, very limited options in terms of where. That's true. Uh, mm. But if you're just doing your, your select star, at least you can see is there anything there. Uh, and and uh, that's sort of step one. And, of course, if step one doesn't work, then you're wondering, well, my God, what has happened here? And uh, so then, then your next ally is uh, sys.transmission queue. And things go through there if they can't get dropped into your um, into your queue. And uh, uh, in my upcoming article, uh, what I refer to it is uh, as your dead letter office. You sent the message; it didn't evaporate; it went somewhere, uh, and that's where it went. And you can see, uh, uh, you know, some of the information that's related to it uh, in there. Now, uh, in my case, a uh, uh, it, it, it was there, and I was wondering, okay, well, I, I created the queue. What's going on here? And uh, lo and behold, you know, Microsoft is taking, um, they're taking security very, very seriously, and I hadn't uh, created a database master key. Yes, in fact, it, that's, that's one that I fell for, too. Uh, in fact, uh, it's something that changed uh, since the, the, the more recent betas prior to release because uh, I, I had uh, some demo code that I had built up uh, that I'd been using for probably the last year and a half. And uh, I know when we went to uh, do the SQL launch events recently and uh, I went to use that same code, it, it, it simply wouldn't work. And uh, 
I was sitting talking to uh, Peter Myers, one of the, the local sequel trainers, about it, and we were sitting there looking through it, and we just couldn't see anything that we'd done wrong at all. But but what had changed is it now did require that, that master key to have been created in the database. And uh, previously, just ironically, we happened to have done some encryption demos beforehand, uh, <laughs> and it happened to be there. Um, but, but when we did the service broker ones on their own, and, and that's the sort of thing that, yeah, you, you can, uh, it, it can certainly make you sit and stare and wonder what's going on. Well, yeah, because I, I knew that I had enabled service broker on the, on the database, and that's another thing that you have to do, uh, enable it as well as uh, uh, create your database master key. So it, do, it doesn't work by default. Uh, you, you do have to turn it on and, and make sure that you've got that master key uh, there. And then, then once the, the, the master key was on, at least I could see stuff going into my into my queues, and I was I was a happy camper on that. Yeah. Actually, if, uh, the fact that the ship's not working too, um, people should note there are several other things that are dependent upon it. Things like query notifications and new database mail and so on are all. Uh, layers of software that sit over the top of Service Broker. So even though it ships uh, not running, I suspect many people will end up with it uh, with it running regardless. Yeah, I, I can't see turning this off or, or correction leaving it off. <laughs> this yeah. is uh, it's a it's a strong technology. Uh, uh, you're going to take advantage of it sooner or later. Yeah, which which of the dynamic management views uh, did you find useful when when trying to uh, work with this. Well, that that transmission queue got me uh, past the, the the first time because uh, you know, fortunately, uh, being an MVP, I can post uh, you know cries for help in the private MVP news groups. <laughs> and uh, uh, Roger Walter from Microsoft hangs out there a lot, and he's been very very helpful. Uh, once I got past that, then um, some of the other uh, uh, views uh, views. Well, for for example. Uh, there's one called Sys.DM Broker Q Monitors, and uh, this one's cool. It, it shows you uh, information on um, on individual queues. Uh, for example, it, it'll show when it was last activated. Now, I should warn the users. I, I learned this one the hard way. The last activated time that you see in there is actually GMT. And living yeah. living in Toronto, I was able to pick that up fairly quickly because um, we're GMT minus five, so it said last activated time. And I look at my watch. Wait a minute, that's five hours from now. Yeah. Oh, I get it. Whereas you in Brisbane, you're ten hours ahead. And you'd look and say, Yeah, this hasn't been activated in ten hours. <laughs> <laughs> so you know you can see what's going on there. Plus, it, it'll tell you the number of tasks waiting, so you, you can see if there are things that are queued up now. Um, one of the things that's there is uh, a database ID, so you'll want to filter that uh, on your own DBID because uh, you, you'll see other traffic that's in there. Uh, another thing that you'll want to do, uh, make sure that you're running, when you do the select, that you're running it inside your own database because uh, one thing that you're surely going to want to put up there is uh, uh, the object name of the QID because uh, it's not there by default, and all you've got are numbers, and unless you're very good at memorizing the, the object ID of your queue, uh, uh, then it's uh, going to be meaningless to you. So make sure that, uh, that you do that. Then uh, another one that, um, th- this is one that uh, really revealed a lot of things to me, and it's uh, Conversation endpoints. And yep. uh, this is where individual uh, conversations 
are, are show up in there now. Now you're not getting, uh, you know, like the, the the text of the the individual messages, but you're seeing uh, the state that the conversation is in, and you can see that it's uh, if it's uh, you know open or closed, uh, if one side is disconnected but the other side has not. And when I was going through all that grief with the ending of conversations and being under the impression that only one side had to end it, I would see a bunch of these DIs show up. Well, that's disconnected inbound. Well, yeah. one half of the requirement was met, the other half was not, and that's what it was telling me. And so when I posted, well, that's what it was telling me, but I didn't know what it was telling me. Uh, and so when I posted that yeah. in the MVP News Group, uh, once again, Roger Walter uh, uh, swooped in and said, uh, you know, you got to close the other half. Oh, really, you do? <laughs> I think that's something also that uh, people might have to get their head around is, is the idea that these conversations can also uh, span very long periods of time. Uh, in fact, I think in Dan Sullivan's book, he describes them uh, the whole thing as a saga. Um, but, but the idea is it could even potentially be years, um, although that wouldn't be the normal case. Um, but, but certainly the, the fact that something hasn't ended within a few minutes or whatever it is really not an issue. I mean, the, the system's more than happy for it to go over a very long period of time. Yeah, it's not necessarily a bad thing. And in uh, Roger's book, I'd like to hit the example he gave it. Uh, let's say that you ordered a, a, an, an airliner from Boeing. And, uh, you know, certain events occur, like materials get ordered and so forth. Well, it takes a while to build a, an airliner. You, you know, they don't work the speed of the Internet over there. So uh, uh, that kind of conversation could last a long period of time. Um, In fact, I, so I went to the, I, w- I went and did the uh, the tour at the Boeing factory, and I must admit, hand, uh, I have to shout out to them that, that that really was was an entertaining thing to go and do. But yeah, it was it was ten months they said from uh, from beginning to end to uh, from the point you ordered it basically until you had a seven four seven four hundred come out the other end. Yeah, so if, if your service broker app uh, was for that kind of process, then, yeah, the conversation isn't going to be closed uh, un- until you know, months down the line. So just because it's not closed doesn't mean it's necessarily a bad thing. However, you know, what it requires is intimate knowledge of your application. In my, uh, my uh, application, I knew that these things should have run a whole lot quicker than that, so I'm wondering why are they still open. Now, yeah. once they're closed, they hang around for a while in that queue. Uh, this was something that, that bothered me. I figured, well, you're closed. You should be gone. And, and uh, Roger, Roger said that they do hang around for a bit. And one thing I did notice is uh, if I restarted uh, the, the, the machine, I, I'm using virtual machines here, so when I restarted my virtual machine, the, uh, all of the closed conversations were gone when I, when I started it back up again. Yeah. Now, the, uh, must have been, uh, it, I did have to stop and think for a minute about the idea that the, the conversations could really go on for that sort of length of time. It, uh, but, but that's right. As you say, many processes may take a, quite a long time to complete. The, now, with other things that have been added to uh, the, the product in this release in SQL Server 2005, are there any other sort of straight-out standout things that you've found helpful in, in uh, explore uh, things you've been exploring lately. Well, I haven't limited myself to service broker. In fact, the service broker is my my uh, the the latest narcotic I'm in, I'm addicted to. Yeah. Uh, the uh, you, those of you who who read my articles uh, probably see more of a, a T SQL theme. So of course I jumped onto that uh, the the same as Itzik jumped onto it, and. Uh, 
uh, I've done a, a few articles now on, on the CTEs, the common table expressions, and those things mm-hmm. have got an awful lot of power. Um, you know, for example, uh, hierarchies prior prior to this time, um, there, there was it, it was a workaround. There was nothing. There's nothing in the relational model that just supports a hierarchy. Yeah, you can you can put things in there where you have a parent and child. You know, uh, uh, I, you know parent ID and child ID in in a in a table, and and hook them up, but. To come up with a result set of what you're after is is a pain, and and when Itzik and I uh, wrote the book, he wrote the the entire chapter on on hierarchies, and he put together a, a lovely uh, way of doing it. But you had to modify your table in order to manage it properly. With yeah. the CTEs, that's all gone, and uh, you can just manage them out, out of the box. And uh, the first article I I did wasn't on hierarchies, but actually was on a, on a rooting problem, which is more more to do with graphs than anything else. And I, I was inspired by, by you know, I was waiting at an airport for, for my plane to arrive. And uh, and I thought, well, you know, airlines have to manage getting you from A to B. And when you go to book an airline flight, you you want to get from, from A to B, and you don't want to go through too many hops in order to get there. So uh, what what I did, uh, I, I can't remember the... the the month in which I, I published this one, but uh, if you go to the SQL Pro website, you'll be able to do it. And this was uh, looking at uh, airline routing, and uh, you want to limit yourself, say, to no no more than three hops, and uh, uh, show me all of the, the flights going between uh, Toronto and Seattle. Now, consider this. I could go from Toronto to Boston, Boston to Toronto, and Toronto to Seattle, and that's three hops. Now, I don't want to yeah. make a flight like that. So you had to make sure that there were no cycles in there. And again, I, th- I think I've been booked on airlines that have tried to do <laughs> to me. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so uh, you, you had to. Uh, the, 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 that's called a, a cycle, and you have to prevent the cycles. So you have to um, that basically keep track of where you've been on each uh, iteration of uh, uh, of your CTE. In, in the case of using a, uh, an iterative uh, CTE. And yeah, you can put it all together, and uh, I, w- I was pretty happy with that. I thought, man, this is really cool. And uh, so uh, my latest uh, CTE article was either last month or the month before, and that was to do with. Uh, oh, actually, maybe it's this month. I lose track. You know, I've written over a hundred mm. of these things, and uh, and this is uh, basically uh, managing referential integrity. Now, even though. Uh, you know, SQL 2005 is very, very po- uh, powerful. Uh, if you were to put um, a referential uh, integrity constraint on a table that had, you know, like a self-referencing table, you can put a foreign key on there. We've been able to do that for a long period of time. If you put on delete cascade, it'll blow on you, and it'll say, you know, like, uh, you know, p- potential cycles or, or whatever it is. It's yeah. uh, some sort of uh, cyclic uh, issue there. And so you have to end up doing that with triggers, but yeah, you can do it with triggers, but with CTEs, yeah. and that gets you, you know, you can manage it that way, and uh, and then you're fine. That's great. So yeah, I've been jazzed on that. I'll, I'll be looking forward to uh, what uh, BG or Itzik's uh, got coming up in that sort of regard in the future as well, because I noticed he's been discussing a bit lately about the uh, the idea that you can update via a CTE as well, and. Uh, there's been a discussion in the groups as to whether that's actually an ANSI-compliant thing to be doing or not. But, uh, <laughs> again, it's an, it's an interesting use of, of the CTEs. So, Well, you know, I'm, I'm not a 
Yeah, yeah, I'm not a purist when it comes to ANSI. I know Joe Selko loves to, to yeah. wave uh, uh, ANSI under people's noses, but, but quite frankly, there's a lot of stuff in SQL Server that isn't ANSI. You know, we, we do have a lot of uh, proprietary stuff, and thank goodness it's there. It, it'll help uh, solve a problem uh, for me. And, uh, it actually gets so done, yeah. Yeah. Mm. Awesome. That pretty much brings us to time, Tom. But uh, what I get you to do is just tell us what, what what's coming up in your world, or what can we look forward to seeing uh, coming from what you've written or places you're speaking or anything like that? So. Well, I had taken a, a hiatus from, from speaking for, for quite a while. I, I, I guess I've been speaking 99, 2000, 2001, and just um, yeah. haven't really had uh, the, the time or the inclination. And now that uh, uh, to 2005 is, has, has been released, uh, I'm more inclined to do that. Uh, certainly locally, I've been going to... Uh, a number of Microsoft events where they have uh, Ask the Expert booths, and uh, uh, MV- MVPs like to come up to that and talk to people. So I was yeah. here for the product launch and uh, was very busy. In fact, I didn't get to go to any of the breakout se- sessions because I was just answering questions all the time. Yeah. So I'd like to get happens. back into. Yeah. yeah, I'd like to get back into that, and, and certainly my, my monthly columns. Uh, uh, I'm getting uh, because I have Mondays and Tuesdays to uh, to work on Yukon stuff. Uh, I'm going to try and. Uh, I'll crank out uh, some more articles on that, and uh, so that's uh, that's what's on my plate for the next little while. Uh, certainly, uh, at, at my client, we're going to be putting together uh, a cluster. Now, unfortunately, it's not um, it's not SQL Server 2005. It's going to be SQL Server 2000. They yeah. they want to wait until Service Pack One has been released. Uh-huh. Uh, what a surprise! Yeah, yeah actually, uh, it, yeah. it is one of the challenges. Uh, the the database community, by their nature, tend to be fairly conservative, and and in many cases, it's it's a warranted thing. Uh, I know one of the things we're looking at running locally uh, soon is uh, some a series of upgrade related sessions discussing exactly that as to uh, you know is this something you should be looking at upgrading now and you know, if if you do what's the advantage and, and so on and so on and so on because yeah and, and it's completely understandable the database community do tend to be conservative in that regard well it's interesting you should mention that because uh, in all candor I think uh, Microsoft is their own worst competition here uh, SQL Server 2000 is a very, very good product. Uh, yes. uh, I, I, even 7.0 was a good product. A- and uh, mm-hmm. so you, you've got stability, you've got performance, and that sort of thing. Uh, the stuff like Service Broker is, yeah, very, very cool, but uh, is it something that you absolutely positively have to have right now in order to, to make your application run? In some cases, yes. In some cases, no. I, I think where, where are you going to see it get more... Uh, adoption, if you will, is uh, if people are building new apps because they'll say, okay, yeah. we're starting with a clean sheet here. What do we have at our fingertips? Well, you, you'd be a fool not to go with uh, SQL yeah. Server 2005. Yeah. It, that's right. It's a, it's a tool in your toolbox, but that's right. If, you, if you're doing a straight upgrade, uh, some of those things aren't necessarily things that you're going to take any advantage of. Uh, one of the sessions I, I really enjoyed at the past conference um, in Dallas was uh, Don Valine's session where he had a session, I think at the time it was called Transparent Upgrade Benefits, but it, it really just sort of discussed, you know, the, you know if, if you just upgrade, here are all the things that just work better. And uh, I must admit, I really enjoyed that session. Yeah, but, I, uh, uh, I was in that one as well. Mm. Oh, that's right, I recall. Yeah, you were sitting in the front row with me. Yeah, so, indeed. But, uh, well, listen, anyway... Thanks for your time today, Tom, and uh, we'll talk again soon. I sure hope so. I'm looking forward to it. Great. Thank you.